0: So much for this uh, dear young man and uh, we do we come humbly before you father and we say lord please speak to us uh through what uh, this young man has prepared we say lord we look to you and uh and we love what you do and we just commit him to you now in jesus name amen amen excellent off you go
1: good morning Yep, as Peter said, we're doing our series. And if this would, yep. Um, So I've chosen for my character in this series uh, to go back a little bit further than everybody else has other than Pete. Pete's gone back to Abraham. And I'm just a little bit further ahead from that. I've chosen one of the 12 judges. Because 12 times Israel started worshipping gods of the other nations that were living with them. Um, And that sort of just led to chaos for them in one way or another. So the Israelites would cry out to God and uh, he'd raise up a judge to solve their problem. That's how it went for every single judge and I want to have a closer look at just one of them. So if you go to Judges 6 through 8, you'll find Gideon's story if you want to follow along. So, uh, seven years before Gideon's story begins, you'll um, find it at the beginning of chapter six, the Midianites came to Israel, staying in caves and dens around the country, uh, stealing food from the Israelites as soon as they uh, were ready to harvest it and terrorizing the people. The, The Israelites were forced to steal food from their own fields just to live. So then we have our character, Gideon, who's the youngest in his family. He's a part of the weakest clan in all of his tribe. He's just about the least important person you'd find in the country. Um, he was probably unheard of outside of his own village. And being, in the youngest, being the youngest in his family, he probably wasn't going to live up to much uh, in anyone's eyes anyway. Luckily, in my own culture, I don't have that. <laughs> um, being the youngest in my own family, so for seven years they're stolen from, and then an angel comes to where Gideon was hiding food for his family from their own field, and he greets Gideon, saying, "The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor." The angel then treats him the way as the man he's going to be, which is a huge sign of respect. You can see in other parts of the Bible, such as Abigail and David, um, when she first greets him. Gideon responds to this in just a heartbreaking way. Um, Yeah, if we can have that up. Thank you. Um, He says... um, And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. He's going through a lot more than most of us will likely ever have to. Uh, And for seven years he's been crying out to God with no response. As he says, he feels forsaken by God. Despite Gideon telling him why he isn't fit for the job, the angel still tells him that he, of all people, will strike down Midian. Gideon is naturally doubtful, so he presents an offering to God before the angel. He asks for a sign to confirm what he's been told. Um, And the angel reaches out his staff, setting the offering ablaze as he touches it. The angel then disappears, leaving Gideon fearing for his life, knowing he's seen an angel. God honored Gideon, despite his fear, not bringing him along half-certain. He took the time to rid him of his doubt. Next, Gideon did as God told him, tearing down his father's altar to Baal. But he did it at night and took ten men with him out of fear. The next morning Gideon's neighbors saw the altar was gone and once they found out it was Gideon that had torn it down, they went to his home to kill him. But his father Joash defended Gideon, saying that anyone who killed him would be doing Baal's work and would be killed for it, saying that if Baal's a god, he can strike down Gideon himself. Slowly we're seeing Gideon's character form up to God's plans. But now's the point where things start getting a bit more dramatic for him. And he sends messages out to his tribe and surrounding tribes, making up an army of 32,000 men. Sounds like a lot, but when you um, read through there, he's not just fighting the Midianites. There's a camp of um, at least three armies, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the peoples of the east. They probably dwarfed Gideon's army with just one of their armies. They likely knew they stood no chance of fighting the armies together, and because of this, Gideon was filled with doubt. He decides to do what he's done every time he's distrusted God so far, and he asks God for a sign. He asks God to leave a fleece dry and let the dew settle around it overnight as confirmation that God wants him to fight the camp. And when Gideon saw this fulfilled the next morning, he was still fearful of fighting the camp with such a small force. So he asks God to do the the opposite the next morning. Waking up the next morning to a soaking wet fleece, his fears are put to rest. However, just as Gideon was ready to go down into the enemy camp, God stopped him. He told Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. God knew that the moment they won, it wouldn't be through God's power, but through their own strength. Gideon kept following God and his word, however hesitant, so he sent all the fearful home, and 22,000 of his 32,000 men left, leaving 10,000 men with him. However, God said that there were still too many men, and he instructed Gideon to take them down to the river to drink. The 300 men who drank like dogs would go with Gideon, but the rest would be sent home. So Gideon was scared of going with 32,000. Imagine how he feels now with 300 men against three or more armies. I'd be terrified. (laughs) 32,000 is pretty bad odds. 300 is just unwinnable without a miracle. So it's not surprising Gideon was doubtful, and God knew this. So God gives Gideon another lifeline, telling him, if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant. So Gideon went down to the camp with Purah, waiting for a sign from God. After a while, they, they heard two men talking in the camp. One was telling the other about a dream he had the previous night about a barley cake rolling into the camp and knocking the whole thing down. The second man had an interpretation of his dream, saying, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all of the camp. Empowered through this, Gideon returned to his men and split them into three groups, arming each with nothing but a jar and a trumpet. They they had one weapon, which was Gideon's sword, and other than that, they were completely defenseless. The three groups surrounded the camp before Gideon and his men smashed their jars and blew their trumpets. With 300 jars and trumpets being smashed, the armies of the camp heard it and assumed that the allied forces were declaring war on one another. The ones that survived the slaughter fled. Some went as far as 60 miles south down the Jordan River. God kept his promise to Gideon and drove out Midian. He became the mighty man of valor that he greeted him as. And through God's power and his courage, he became a better man than he was before, encouraged through God. Throughout Gideon's story, there are three situations where we see um, the same thing happening. We have Gideon's offering, the miracle of the fleece, and the Midianite's dream. Each time Gideon asks for a sign because he's scared, then God grants a miracle for Gideon, and then Gideon's faith is restored in God. Despite Gideon's fear, doubt, and distrust, God still worked miracles for and through him. He didn't forsake Gideon, not when he doubted the angel, not when he distrusted God, asking for a miracle, nor when he feared the Midianites and the Amalekites. God is faithful, patient, and kind. He promised Gideon, and he did not forget or betray him. God doesn't change. God is the same now as he was with Gideon. Yeah. God is faithful. He won't forsake any of his children. Yeah. God is patient. He designed us. He knows the time we need. And he is kind. He stayed with Gideon and he'll do the same for all of us. Yeah. God doesn't change. Yeah. I pray that as a church, we, uh, we grow into a mindset of trusting God, that we... Um, that we wouldn't just um, attend church, that we would come wanting to meet with God and saying saying that, um, Lord, we want to follow you. Now, where are you going to lead us? That we're not saying, where am I going and then I'll decide. We're saying yes to God and then we're following him where he leads us. In Psalm 56, it says, um, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? God is calling us in the new year to trust in him and move in his will, however blindly it may feel.
0: Well done, Hannes. Did you hear the word of God? God's speaking to us. Can we stand? Did you catch what, what God's saying through this? This is, a, this is a new season. And if we can do this year in our own strength, then it's, it's not enough. God is after more. He's after something that we can't do and we have to trust him for. So whatever your aims are and your desires are for this year, if they do not include the fact that God has to move, then you need to change them. Can we just take a moment before God? Jack's going to just gently play. Thanks, Jack. And just help us here because you know this is a momentous time, and we set our course now. And I believe there's a. There's, last week was about consecration. Came at some point, and I believe God is calling us to believe for far more than we've ever believed before. We're looking for a church that, if God was to take His hand off us, we'd fall apart. We never want to be a church that if he took his hand off us, we wouldn't know that he had. We don't want lives like that either, do we? So let's go for an adventure this year. I believe the invitation is out there to step into something extraordinary. So can you forget about the person standing next to you for a moment? This is now between you and God, who knows you thoroughly, knows where you've come from, knows your yearnings knows your dreams and is looking for a people who will trust him and give him space to move so father we stand before you and we hear the story that Hannah's brought and we hear you speaking through the story And we say, Father, we don't want to come at this year looking at all the resources we have. Father, we put them aside, as Gideon put soldiers aside and was told to come down to 300. Father, your word says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. We come to you, Lord, poor in our own resources and trusting you for your great resources for this year. So, Father, we want to close the door on where we've come to we thank you by your grace you've brought us this far but now we get out of the boat and we want to walk on the sea and so father we ask you right now to take us as we are by your grace and speak to each one of us as to where the borders of our comfort zones are that we might step over them We stand before you now, Lord, in this holy moment. Father, together we cry out, Lord, your kingdom come. Your mighty will be done in us as it is in heaven and through us as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. Jack's going to lead us in a song now. And as he does, let's make it a prayer.